Welcome to episode three of the Bit Beacon broadcast. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. And we're back just a few days later after our first episode. We've got uh, Ravenheart, Rick for short. And we've got myself, Kodax, or Taylor. Uh, eventually, one of those days, I'm just going to say one of those names. But for now, I'm going to keep saying two. Yeah, same. Um, all right, so uh, let's jump into a little bit of housekeeping real quick. Uh, we're aware of some audio issues with the second episode of the podcast, last episode. Um, and uh, we were really eager after we recorded to publish it. Yep. And uh, we made a rookie mistake of not listening to the whole thing. These issues aren't too bad. It's like three times. There's like less than a second of a blip. But uh, I'm going to see if maybe there's a way I can go back and re-upload it without the uh, issues and the issues present. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little worried about like disrupting. The there were somehow. there were a couple hiccups and then um, some other issues. Kids talking in the background, etc. Yeah, if you're if if someone can find it, that'll be like our Easter egg or something. We'll we'll have kids in the background. See if you can find the kids <laughs> talking in the background. Yeah, it might happen more frequently than I'd like. Um, but uh, aside from that, why don't we uh, jump straight into what are we playing? What are we buying? What's going on with you? Um, so I went to book off last night and kind of oh. went crazy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I spent a hundred and ten dollars. <laughs> Holy crap! Dude. But there was one game in particular I was looking for. He's reaching into his pocket, everyone. So uh, when we had the Tomaka discussion, okay, um, when he passed away, I actually looking into like his career and stuff got really interested in one particular game okay. that he was actually um, a massive part of the development for. And that was a game uh, on Super Nintendo or Super Famicom called, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Feda? 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 I was reading about this one. uh, The Emblem of Justice. And uh, so I was on the hunt for this particular game, and I specifically wanted to get it on um, Super Famicom uh, just because I found a, a nice translation. Collecting Japanese games is the right way to go, in my view. Okay. Um, just because it's so so much more affordable than often. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. You paid a hundred dollars for just this no. One game? This this game was thirty dollars. Oh, okay. Um, I got uh, several other games. Okay. Uh, one of which was Bahamut Lagoon by okay. SquareSoft. It's a tactical role-playing game. I paid 20 for that one. For what system? Uh, Super Famicom. Oh, also Super Famicom. Yep. so I will be playing uh, Feta. So for those that don't know, the Super Famicom is the Super Nintendo in Japan, effectively. Correct. It's, I mean, physically, they look different. They The cartridges are different. And the consoles look different, too, but they're effectively the same console. Correct. Um, and I'm just going to read off a list of all the games I've bought. All right. Uh, very affordable stuff. Uh, collecting Japanese is kind of the right way to go, especially with games that don't require a lot of text. Um, F-Zero is on this list. Mm-hmm. I love playing Super Mario World yeah. on my Super Famicom. Um, but I picked up Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy IV... I already had six, so that worked out. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, uh, Dragon Quest Six, Dragon Quest Five, Street Fighter Two, Street Fighter Two Turbo, Romancing Saga, Romancing Saga Three, uh, Bahamut Lagoon, which I already mentioned, A Link to the Past, F Zero, Secret of Mana, Secret of Mana Two, Super Donkey Kong, Ronma One Half. That was like a, just a snap decision to get that one. 
and um, uh, he's having trouble reading. His I'm writing. having trouble reading my no. Oh yeah, uh, the Japanese version of Mario Paint, which oh, I nice. it was just so cheap. I had to like get three dollars. Already had it on uh, Super Nintendo, so now I have both versions. So for those of you that don't know, Book Off is a famous chain in Japan, but uh, that sells a lot of secondhand products. Right. But primarily he, Japanese. Yeah. Uh, but here in the U.S., they opened up stores. I don't know, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. It's been a while now. We've been we've been hitting them up off and on for a bit. Right. And, but uh, they have uh, an awesome assortment. Some of the stores have more Japanese games than others. Which store did you go to? Uh, the Costa Mesa one. Oh, okay. And I mean, like to pick up Secret of Mana two for three dollars <laughs> on Super Famicom is like that's magic. Right. Now, I have to ask, I mean, I like buying retro games that are in Japanese or another language if they're um, if they're easy to, like, you don't really need to know the language to play them. Right. But you just read a list of a bunch of games where yes. it would probably be helpful to know Japanese. So, so um, there's a lot of JRPGs and tactical RPGs on this list, mainly because those are my favorite genres. I don't mind going out of my way to down, either download a fan translation okay. or use like a translation app mm-hmm. to kind of just view the text in English yeah. with my phone. Um, easy way to play these games. Yeah. Um, but I did go out of my way to find games like F-Zero and Super Donkey Kong right. where I just don't you can, need... You just know how to play those. You don't, you don't need to be able to read the text. Exactly. Well, wow, you went on quite a shopping spree. I also went on a shopping spree Sunday. Oh. Um, GameStop, well, Saturday night at around like 10 o'clock or something like that, GameStop had a new sale go up, and they had so many games uh, for dirt cheap. Like, we're talking games that came out in the last year, a lot of mm-hmm. Square Enix stuff that were like $5, $10 only a piece. Just mostly like PS4 titles? No, most of the titles I picked up were for PS5. Oh, wow. Even. Um, I've got a list right here. If you just give me a moment. Can you riff for a second? Yeah, no problem. Um, Yeah, I love buying retro games. It's kind of my bread and butter when it comes to games. I'm really looking forward to playing Feta. Um, And I'll be talking about that uh, throughout the next several episodes as I dig deep into this game. I really love Tamaka's art style. Well, I, I want a full report. Game. Oh yeah, I want the, this next week. Let's let's hear a little bit about feta, not the cheese, not the, the video cheese. game. If that's how it's pronounced, I. Uh, I mean, it's spelled F E D A. Correct. It looks like. Yeah. Do you know what kind of a game it is? It's a tactical RPG. Oh okay, like Fire Emblem. Kind of yeah. Oh, okay, all right. You know, there's several Fire Emblem games on the Super Nintendo. There are, and I saw some. Good. They weren't they weren't that cheap, yeah. but I'll probably go back and pick them yeah. up. Alright, so from my haul from this crazy GameStop sale, first I just want to start. After tax, I paid $48.59 for everything I'm about to read to you. Wow. I got Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Oh, yes. For $5. PS5. Oh, jeez. I got Star Ocean 6 The Divine Force, which is a new Star Ocean game that just came out last year for less than $10. Love that series. I got the new Valkyria Chronicles game, Valkyrie Elysium, for $10. I mean, keep in mind, I had a pro membership, too, so it took like an extra 10% off all these numbers I'm saying. I got Tales of Arise for PS4, $5. Nice. I got Scarlet Nexus, Bandai Namco game, PS5. 
$5. And then lastly, I got Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes for the Nintendo Switch for $15. Wow. Um, I already have Fire Emblem Heroes Three Hopes, but I imported the European Collector's Edition, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to make sure I had an ESRB copy. Okay. Um, you know, I, I prefer to keep my games in North America region. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of waiting for there to be a good deal. I've been seeing it at like $20 uh, the last couple months, but the extra $5 just made it like an impulse pickup for me. Right. So yeah, keep in mind all of these games were originally $60 games. Yeah. And I got all 70 of them. in some cases. Yeah, I got all of them for $48.59. That's that's a great haul. I did spend about an hour driving around to three different game stops round trip. But I the, mean, the titles you picked up make that worth it. Yeah, I'm especially so jealous too. about Stranger in Paradise. Yeah, I, I want to play that so bad. I, yeah, I couldn't. When it was five dollars, I was like, "Oh, you know what? It was actually ten dollars the night I purchased it." Mm-hmm. But when I woke up in the morning, it was now listed as being five dollars on the website. Wow! So when I went to the store to pick it up, I had them return it, and then I just purchased it right back from them. Wow! Um, so <laughs> I, I saved myself a few more bucks. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's what I have been purchasing. I have been playing more of Final Fantasy sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about today that I forgot to talk about on episode two was that I played the Foam Stars beta. Oh, okay. Talk about that. So yeah, we we had we had talked about Foam Stars in episode one, yeah, and we were kind of making fun of it. I was. Yeah, I was too. Um, I was a little more optimistic about it, but um, I, I will admit it was a little goofy looking. But I went to try the beta. I was on it for maybe half an hour or so. I kept trying to play a match, and I kept getting disconnected over and over wow. and over again. I guess maybe there were just too many players. I did eventually get into one match, and I got to play for about all of 30 seconds before I got disconnected. Wow. And I gave up. But I will say there's like a 10-15 minute tutorial experience mm-hmm. that I did enjoy a lot. I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. The surfboard mechanic is cool. It's kind of like the equivalent of when the squids or the octolings from uh, Splatoon dive into the ink and kind of like go real quick. Okay. But with the, what's different about uh, Splatoon is that when uh, and uh, Foam Stars is that in Foam Stars when you sort of knock out an enemy they don't get immediately like KO'd or you know, like defeated, mm-hmm. you have to ride on your surfboard and like hit them with it, and that's what ultimately like finishes them, and then they have to like respawn. Okay. Um, so whereas with Splatoon, if you like not or if you splat, they call it, mm-hmm. if you splat someone, you don't have to do anything extra to defeat them fully. So aside from having a special way of knocking out other players, uh, do all the other mechanics like translate perfectly with Splatoon, or is, um, is there other? Like, it's pretty similar uh, overall. Like, if you're... I mean, it even has gyro okay. aiming, like Splatoon does, and it was actually pretty solid. Um, so I recommend turning that on if you're used to using it in Splatoon. Um, it is pretty overall compatible, I would say. Um, I I especially... I did really like the music. The music is like something straight out of a Persona game. Like, cool. it's got, like, these vocals going in the background, and it's, like, very jazzy and poppy and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that was, like, a huge highlight for me. Like, if Square Enix puts out an original soundtrack for this game, I will probably pick it up. The music is that good. Wow. Um, and I know there was... You get, like, a an exclusive costume for one of the characters if you played the beta. So, 
I don't know. They still haven't said if this is a game you're going to have to pay for, or if this is a game that's going to be free to play and have like microtransactions funding its development. Um, so I thought it was for sure free to play, but I looked it up and Square Enix has yet to say if like you're going to pay a flat a flat fee for this game, or it's going to be a game where you pay a flat fee and then you're expected to continue making purchases or something like that. I assume it's going to be mostly cosmetic mm-hmm. purchases, or maybe they might even like sell the new characters. Um, so I'm curious where Square Enix decides to go with it. I'm guessing there's a reason they haven't said it yet, and it's probably because they maybe haven't made up their mind. Right. With a game like this, I think they have to they have to be careful. Like Splatoon is a full sixty dollar game, and it doesn't really have any other optional purchases aside from like the expansion DLC, which adds more story to the game. I don't think Foam Stars is going to have a story to it so much. Okay. Maybe some like light world building. Right. Um, but overall, I think it's it's just a multiplayer fun game to play. Um, did you have to find out who the development team is? Or is it Square Enix internally? Or? You know, I saw, I was looking for that when the, when the game was booting up. It did list someone other than Square Enix okay. as being like a developer. But it's escaping my memory right gotcha. now, and I don't have it in my notes. So. But for sure, it's not like Square Enix's internal development. Well, it might be like a joint thing. I have a feeling it's um, maybe directed by someone from Square Enix, but he's like overseeing a team at a different studio, or like you know they've they've sort of contracted it out. This happens a lot with Square Enix. They 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 have third party studios that they work with, but they have someone from Square Enix leading development on the game. Nintendo does that a lot too like right. uh, like like Metroid Dread for example made by a Spanish studio Mercury Steam mm-hmm. but directed or co-directed by someone like from, from Nintendo, Nintendo that makes along sense. with someone from Mercury Steam. That makes sense. Aside from that, I don't think I've been playing anything else. I didn't really have anything else I wanted to update everyone on. Um, I did have something I wanted to update you on. I don't want this to be a whole story, but about two hours ago, I got some bad news. Oh, okay. Your Pokemon Center order was canceled. of course. So, unfortunately, you will not be getting your Pikachu Van Gogh card. That is some BS, (laughs) and I blame the Pokemon company. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to episode two, we were talking about how... uh, the Pokemon Center had this big Van Gogh collaboration, and there was this exclusive merch. I picked some up for Rick in hopes that he could get the exclusive card that came bundled with his merchandise. And unfortunately, so many orders were canceled over the last week. Was it everybody, or just... no? Some people got through. I think if the people were there the second it went up, or at eight o'clock, mm-hmm. I didn't know it was live because I was at work. Uh, until a little later, so I had to like step away from my desk and take a break to try to order some stuff. And I guess I was just like 10, 15 minutes too late by then. The merch was already gone, even though the website wasn't updated showing that it was all gone. Right. Um, so I, I want to, you know, just pour one out for Rick's uh, uh, Pikachu promo. Man, that's a bummer. And um, I know you didn't talk about anything you're playing, but at least playing yet, but. Mm. You mentioned this in episode one, that you were interested in playing Honkai Star Rail. Yes. And that comes out tonight. Okay. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Um, yeah. It's already, you can already preload it on your PS5 for free. I'll go home and download it. All right. So, yeah, I want to I wanna hear that you've played maybe a couple hours on it. I'm curious to hear your impressions of it. Yeah, so sure. So, if you have time, 
uh, it'd be awesome if you could check it out. Cause uh, again, like I riff on uh, Genshin Impact a lot, but I've always thought the art style of the game, the look and feel of the game, you know, it it really works yeah. for me. You know, it it speaks to like the games I love. Um, I just wish it, you know Genshin Impact wasn't what it is. Yeah, but this is exactly what it. I feel like it should right. be, you know. It's, it's turn-based, which I think is, like, a big thing for you. Yes. Um, and so I think it would be cool if maybe we were both playing the same game. We for, should. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's, we, we could talk about it on the pod each week, maybe. So uh, hopefully you check that out. I will. I'll send you a reminder. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, why don't we uh, get into some, some news topics? Yep. Um, so let's start off by talking about the PlayStation Portal, which recently, a couple of weeks ago, went up for sale. Yes. Well, well pre-order. Pre-order. Pre-order, yeah. It's not available. It doesn't ship until... November I think mid, 15th. Mid-November, yeah. Um, what What is the PlayStation Portal? So it's a peripheral. I'm going to emphasize that it's a peripheral, not a console or a system. Right. Um, that pairs with your PS5 and streams your game on a portable handheld kind of device peripheral right um so that you can play it anywhere in your house or anywhere where you have a wi-fi connection um which is not the nintendo switch it is obviously trying to mimic the versatility that the nintendo switch provides um but it's it's the game is still running on your home console it's not running on the actual device you're playing it on, um, in my opinion, making it a peripheral. Right. Um, yeah, this thing doesn't play games natively. Correct. How it works is, you know, you log into your PlayStation Portal, this handheld device with uh, two control or a controller on each side of the screen, kind of like half of a dual a dual sense controller. Think of a dual sense controller with a screen in the middle. Exactly. And it sends a signal to your PS5 to turn on. So whether you're somewhere in the same room or the same home as the PS5 or you're halfway across the world, it turns on the PS5 and it streams what's happening on your console over to this handheld device. Mm-hmm. And I think Sony's kind of trying to pitch this as like, because remote play is what this console is, or what this handheld does. Right. And remote play has been around for years since the early PS4 days. The Vita could use remote play. Um, mm-hmm. You can do it on your phone, you can do it on your laptop, you can do it on your tablet. Uh, but this is like the first time Sony has ever made a device tailor-made just for remote Dedicated play. Dedicated to remote play. Um, I And you know what? Uh, I've never really used remote play just because I can't see myself playing, you know, Final Fantasy sixteen or something on my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but this is nice. It's got like... A nice big tablet style screen with a controller grip on each side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can definitely see myself playing PS5 games. And I hear because it's got the dual sense form factor, it has all the haptics that like the dual sense has. Right. So it's your. I mean, the dual sense controller is like an eighty dollar controller. I think like seventy five bucks. It is. Yeah, something like so, that. So the mean, Edge controller is even. Oh weird. yeah, the Edge is like PlayStation's like pro gamer controller. Right. That thing is like a hundred twenty, hundred fifty dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like you could buy three of those controllers and like, or buy a console. Right. You know? Um, yeah, I'm not at that point in my gaming career where I need the edge 
So I'll go ahead and announce that I have pre-ordered the PlayStation Portal already. I'm already sold. I recognize what it is and that it what it is not. Uh, however, I see the use for it. In my life, this is perfect. My biggest reason that I don't play my PS5 as much as I play my Nintendo Switch is because of the lack of versatility that the Switch has. It's just easier for me to play my Nintendo Switch in more instances mm -hmm. than it is my PS5. Right. This is going to change that. Yeah, like a big uh, argument for it is like, let's say uh, someone else in your home, your spouse, your kids, whoever, are, are using the TV and you really want to play on your PlayStation 5, well, now you can. You mm -hmm. can sit on the couch, you can go to the bedroom, and it'll just turn on your PS5 and you're playing the games pretty much seamlessly. I mean, the... The image might suffer at times, especially if like someone else is streaming Netflix, if you mm -hmm. don't have a really strong internet connection, maybe. A, a lot of people who live in larger cities live in apartments, usually with somebody. Yeah. Usually the apartments are on the smaller side, Yeah. and this is smart. You know, it just makes sense for PlayStation to at least eliminate one complaint or one con right. that it has over its competitor. Yeah. And yeah, so for that reason, I think it's it's a really good idea. I don't think the price is right. I still went ahead and uh, I'm willing to pay that for myself, but I don't think that the device and everything that it is. What's the price? Uh, a hundred ninety nine dollars or two hundred. Yeah, man, that seems. It's, yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, like because I mean I can already. I, I want a PlayStation Portal, but I can't justify $200 to myself. Yeah, and and let's be real, it probably will come down. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I've, I mean, hearing that you picked it up makes me think that even that more people are picking it. More people see the value in That's it. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, you could be right. A lot of people could be like, that's expensive, you know, but I'm going to get it because it it's going to change my the right. way I play games. It'll let me play games more. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's a problem I think a lot of adults face. Like, we want to game more, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's... Uh, it's It can be hard to. There's a... You know, people... Other people are using that TV. Sometimes you don't want to be on the couch. Sometimes you want to be in bed playing, you know, yep. and this this will enable you to do that. Or or your partner's sleeping and, you know, you want to play with earbuds. And, right. You know. Well, that, that brings up an interesting topic. Sony is selling $200 wireless earbuds yeah that I'm not, pair with this I have thing. not pre-ordered those or bought those uh, so the portal is not compatible with bluetooth headphones it does have an auxiliary jack thank thank god for that yeah could you imagine if yeah. the only way to get audio aside from the built-in speakers is was you had to buy two hundred dollar proprietary head yeah earbuds. sony loves proprietary oh they yeah. do yeah. um we'll talk about that more later <laughs> in a minute um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, $199.99. Mm -hmm. um, that, to me, is a wait and see. I mean, if people... If you come back and tell me that it's, like, revolutionized gaming for you, like, it, it makes it so much easier to play your PS5, then, you know, I don't know, maybe I might be convinced. But uh, for the time being, I'm kind of being a little more cautious. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, I can already use remote play with my iPad, and I just hold my my Dual Sense or my Dual Shock Four, you know, mm -hmm. in my hand. But it would be nice to kind of have that more portable form factor, not have to carry around so much stuff with me, like when I'm traveling, 
when I usually use remote play, it's just to log into some games real quick and like take care of some like account maintenance. I've got to make sure I do my, you know, my daily quest in this game or something like that. Right. You know, I'm usually not doing super long gaming sessions, but it does seem like the PlayStation Portal would be the ideal way to have some longer gaming sessions mm-hmm. while using remote play. True. Um, yeah, so for you, like, because you already have the capabilities or you already use the capabilities of remote play, mm-hmm. I never have... So this is like a huge difference yeah. in my life. Uh, and also, I don't even know if this is really worth mentioning, but everything the PS5 can play, this thing can play. It's not like barred off PS4 titles or anything like no. that. It's no, 100%. Yeah. Because anything... Well, you know, I do wonder, Will, like... Because on PlayStation 5, you have access to, like, Netflix and Apple mm-hmm. TV and things like that. I wonder if it'll also allow you to stream those. That's a really good point. Because I think currently on remote play apps, those things are blocked mm-hmm. due to like weird restrictions. Like it knows that you're connecting through remote play, so it won't let you open those apps. Right. Um, but I think game wise, I can't imagine why there would be any restrictions. Right. I know some some game experiences are not ideal with remote play the way remote play is now. But I do think because you'll be able to use the DualSense uh, light controller with the PlayStation Portal. Um, that it's going to be more tailor-made for it. Like, I, I wonder if there's going to be, like, exclusive perks or if it's going to be more efficient when you use the PlayStation Portal because it's one sole purpose is just running that. When you're using uh, remote play on a phone or a tablet, your phone and tablet is still processing all kinds of things in the background and taking mm-hmm. resources right. away from, like, the remote play app. But this device, all it does is remote play. It won't do yep. anything else. I, I love dedicated devices. Yeah. You know that. I mean, could you imagine, though, if the PlayStation Portal also happened to play Vita games? You could stick in your Vita oh, cartridge. Oh, yeah, that would be insane. Um, before we get on that topic, one last point, uh, real quick. In our last episode, when we were talking about the Nintendo successor, uh-huh. um, I was talking, you had asked me what I think, what direction I think it'll it'll take. And I talked about versatility. I yeah. talked about the industry maybe moving as a whole in that direction. Right. And this PlayStation Portal, I think, is reinforcing yeah, my theory. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a baby step. It's it's like their Wii U, right. in a way. Exactly. Know? They need kind of a weird, funky thing to get people thinking about gaming this way. You're right. Um, and then, yeah, maybe the PlayStation Portal is a... Some, it's a, not a warning, but a, it's a hint of what's to come in the future. Right. Uh, I remember I read... Uh, a year or two after the Switch came out, Hideo Kojima was talking about the Switch. I mean, he's never made a game for the Switch. Mm-hmm. But I presume he owns one. And uh, he was talking about it like he thinks that is what gaming will look like in the future. Right. Like, everyone is going to have one of these kind... Like, there's going to be these these hybrid consoles that right. you can pick up and play. Right. And we're seeing this form factor even in the PC space now yeah. with Steam Deck... And uh, a couple other players have entered that kind of handheld PC market. I would buy a Steam Deck, I think. Yeah, I would buy a Steam Deck, too. I'm curious about it. I don't think I'd buy one now. The screens on them are not very good. They Mm -hmm. remind me of, like, a 3DS screen where they're just not very impressive. They're kind of, like, bright and overblown. Mm -hmm. Um, If they ever put out, like, an OLED model of uh, the Steam Deck, that would be when I would jump in. Definitely. Um, 
But I think the days of dedicated handheld devices are done, and I think that really ended with the PlayStation Vita being kind of the... Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were disappointed when this wasn't a Vita 2, when PlayStation Portal wasn't a Vita successor. Right. Um, uh, I think rumors about a new quote-unquote PlayStation handheld had been around for a while. They had, um, and I think it's because there were rumblings of this PlayStation Portal thing, right. but it it wasn't clear what it was uh, immediately. There were rumors of this device earlier this year uh, that Sony was working on a new handheld, and people were like in disbelief, you know, right. after they basically abandoned the right. Vita, you know, so early on in its life cycle. Yeah, and just treated it, you know, in my opinion, wrongly throughout its life cycle. Right. Maybe the first few years were. They good. were trying, yeah. yeah. So the PlayStation Vita, for those that don't know, is or sorry, Sony's uh, PlayStation's uh, handheld device, their last true handheld device that played games natively. Mm-hmm. When I say natively, that means like you insert a cartridge or you download a game, and that's how you play the game. Like previous to that, it was the PSP, the PSP, and um, which was a huge, phenomenal success, sold more than eighty million units worldwide. The Vita did maybe only a fifth of that, right, over its lifespan. It wasn't, like, you know, so niche that it was, you know, that it's hard to find one now or anything like well, that. Well, they're getting more valuable, believe they, it or they not, are. especially ones in good condition. Um, like, you're, you'll be paying MSRP for a used one now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they, same with the 3DS. Like, they're, they're, they're valuable now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, the Vita was a really good system. It just... Uh, it's PlayStation abandoned it. Yeah, you know they didn't put in. I mean, I picked one up on launch day back in February of 2012. I was working at Target. I was thrilled that there was a new console coming out that I could use my team member discount on. I was so excited to get 20 percent off my or, <laughs> yeah or 10 percent off my PlayStation Vita. Um, and you know, I just felt like I was really getting one over. That was like, oh my god, I finally have a store discount. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was making a pittance. I was making like ten dollars an hour. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it took me like a half or a full week just to earn enough money to to pay for the PlayStation Vita. But it was awesome. I I was so excited for the Vita Uncharted Golden Abyss. Like the idea of like a a big budget Uncharted game being on a portable console. Mm-hmm. I mean, that blew my mind completely. It was it's above and beyond anything we had seen before on a, hand, a handheld device. It was running it natively, no weird streaming going on. Um, yeah. I was just blown away until, you know, you find out that you have to buy these memory cards. Yeah. The proprietary memory cards, I think, was a kind of a bad way to go for PlayStation that might have lent itself to the at least initial uh, decline of... I mean, we're talking about memory cards that were only like 64 gigabytes mm-hmm. that cost more than $100. Yeah. Now, if they had gone with SD cards... Oh, it would have been a game changer. Yeah, like it, the, the Vita would probably have been a much bigger success. Now, Sony was probably worried about piracy, which I understand... Because uh, Nintendo had the same problem with the DS. Right. Eventually, you know, publishers were like wary of putting anything out on the DS because it was so easy to to hack, 
and to to get the ROMs off the cartridges and you know like there were millions and millions and millions of downloads for like various Pokemon games for example Mm -hmm. and I know not all those people would have purchased the game if it hadn't been you know available for download online for free effectively right but I mean that's still a lot of revenue being missed out on you know all someone has to do is buy the console and a little flash card and then they have access to hundreds and thousands of games not to get too deep into piracy which is a topic I think that we should yeah uh, we should talk about that um but uh I think that piracy is always going to be a factor no matter what yeah. a publisher or a console holder does to try to prevent it it's going to be there people are going to find a way yeah. and I think dwelling on it and putting DRM or any kind of proprietary you know resistance or what have you on your your system or your game yeah. is just not the right way to go I think it punishes the users who do pay right. for for your product I mean it's interesting with the Nintendo Switch the only model of Nintendo Switch that's ever been hackable is the very original launch model only mm-hmm. from those first couple months that first uh, shipment exactly they found a fix for the issue that let people um, hack the Switch which involved like physically like jamming some like shorting your switch and like getting it to boot into some special mode mm. uh, via the like the rail on the the joy the joycon rail wow um but since then no one's been able to hack the switch uh but unfortunately because that first model is hackable i mean uh, all those games can be found online now hacking your switch is a much more involved process yeah. than just download or buying a 30 dollar card D- device, online yeah um, to just load it with ROMs and play it. So most people don't bother with right. hacking their Switch. It's just too much effort. Yeah. Um, but I digress. We were talking about the, the Vita. Um, when, when did you buy your Vita? Yeah, so you were actually with me when we went out and bought it together. That's right. I, I had ran into your room. This is when we were living together. And I said, Rick, there is a way that Sony just announced where you can make games for the PlayStation Vita mm-hmm. and... You don't have to, like, get any crazy developer approval or go through some, like, interview process. They're basically making it so uh, people can make official homebrew, in a way. Right. Uh, Like, but not homebrew because, like, they'll release it on the PlayStation Vita store Mm -hmm. via a special section called PlayStation Mobile. Yep, PlayStation Mobile. And that was enough to get you to, like, run out the door. We ran to Target. Buy a Vita. You bought a very specific... I did. It was the second model. Right. The, um, and it was packaged with a digital copy of Borderlands 2. Borderlands... Oh, yeah, it was Borderlands yeah. 2. That's right. And uh, But, yeah, PlayStation Mobile was a great little thing. It was too short-lived. Yeah. It really could have been a lot bigger. If they wanted to pump that, more and more people would have got interested in development, I think. Having your little game that you could make you know as a solo developer on the PlayStation Vita mm-hmm. uh, is you know that's huge that's a, yeah. a big like dopamine yeah definitely you know? like I mean uh, PlayStation Mobile was this initiative started by Sony that was originally just for phones I yeah. believe just for like Xperia it was, Sony yeah, phones Sony phones yeah it was like a, an extra app store built into uh, these Sony phones where you could download games that maybe weren't available 
on like the Google Play Store. Right. And then they eventually expanded this initiative to the Vita. Um, Which was like the best, one of the best moves they ever did. I just yeah. wish they did it there, better. There was some pretty big games that got their start on PlayStation Mobile. I think there was one in particular, Super Crate Box or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that dev went on to like become a, an official Sony developer and released a, a native PS Vita version for the game that had trophies and all that. Yeah, I I had downloaded and these games were ninety nine cents. Oh yeah, you know, super like, affordable. Super affordable. You saw something that l- even the thumbnail looked interesting. You just bought it. Like you weren't worried. Like oh right. man, I got to spend ten dollars. It's ninety nine really? cents. Yeah. Who cares? And you're you know you're supporting some individual right developer. Yeah, and. Uh, there were big games that were released on PlayStation Mobile. I think Jetpack Joyride was available on PlayStation Mobile, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I remember I had a native version for Vita. I, I don't know that I had a, um, a I, I could version. be wrong about that. But maybe, yeah. Uh, Square Enix put out a number of games. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember that franchise. Uh, ring, something about Rings. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. I can't about. remember the yeah. title. But yeah, I downloaded... All of them, right? Because uh, it's Square Enix. Well, we're burying the lead a little bit. Here. We are. Um, you, you developed. I for yeah. PlayStation so Mobile. I launched the original, original PlayStation or um, version of Seraphim on PlayStation Mobile. So Seraphim is like a big passion project that you've been working on for many years. It's been eight years now. I started development on Seraphim uh, May tenth, two thousand fifteen. 15? Oh, wow. 15. Yeah. Was it 15 or 14? 15. It was 15. Oh, it was... You know I'm what? I'm sure it's 14. You're right. I'm yeah. sorry. 14. Yeah. Wow. So it's been even longer. It's almost been... a decade, dude. Let's not dwell on that too okay. much. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, it was initially going to be a mobile game, and then we put it on PlayStation Mobile, mobile. and... It um, launched. It launched on. It PlayStation launched on Mobile. PlayStation Mobile. Like, Sony wrote you a check at some point. I did receive a check from PlayStation, and it, yeah, like that, you got sales. Like uh, it was a hundred and I think a hundred and twenty-eight total downloads worldwide. Right. So that was before. Um, it didn't take too long before Sony closed the PlayStation. Right. Mobile it store. was live on the store for a year and a, a half. Year and tops. a half or so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was, I refer today to that version of Seraphim and it was rough. Like that version of Seraphim looking back, yeah. looking at footage and still on my Vita, mm-hmm. it was rough. Like I the mean, game doesn't look anything <laughs> like that today. It's way. You're right. You're right. It does look different. The ambition and scope has totally uh, changed. It's completely different. Um, the effects, the, the filters, the materials, the shaders, are all way better now. Right. It looks like a, a sequel. But I mean, you're one of, you know, a couple hundred people who release games on this platform. Yeah. And like, you, you have like a dedicated Game Facts yep. page. I, that's to true. Your game. Like, there's a message board for Seraphim yep. on Game Facts. Like, that blows true. my mind. Yeah. Dude. It's like, that's pretty damn awesome. That happened. And. I mean, you, go ahead. Oh, uh, I refer today to this version of Seraphim as Seraphim PSM. Right. Because um, yeah. it's. It needs to be delineated from what Seraphim is right. now. It was, you know, effectively sort of a, a $1 tech demo. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was definitely, you could call it yeah. a tech demo. It was I mean, worth the dollar for sure. Definitely. Uh, I think that, well, the game was very bare-bones mechanic. It was just the shooting scheme, all the power-ups, all the other aspects of Seraphim today. Um, I talk about Seraphim like it's been released. It hasn't. Um, other pe- More people know about it, uh, or did. I don't know where people are at with it. Um, We've been quiet for a little while. Yeah, we have been quiet. I haven't been on Twitter and... Don't intend to come back until I have something significant to show. Um, we kind of fell off, or I fell off, when the PlayStation Vita shut down. Yeah, that was a, a big blow to the community. It was. And yeah. especially to the, to the developers who were working on games. Right. It was um, too big of a rush, and I just had too much to do. Oh, we were. Rick was scrambling. I was scrambling. He was trying to make a version work. Uh, I was calling out sick from work to try to get this done yeah. within the two weeks I had to right. get it done. Yeah, they they put out a, a very quick deadline, and then they like kind of they made it sound like you couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But then they changed their mind and they were like, "Well, actually, devs still have until this date." So there was all this wasted time where we were under the assumption that we couldn't submit the game, and then they were like, "No, actually, you have until this date." So then you were scrambling. And I was getting mixed information from, like, the official channels. Right. Um, on the development side of things, it just wasn't... I tried truncating the game into, like, an arcade edition. Right. Uh, I was doing everything I could to get a version out there, and it just didn't happen. There does exist a version of Seraphim that runs on PlayStation Vita on my dev kit, and that will forever be... On the only, <laughs> yeah, the only copy of Seraphim uh, uh, on on Vita. I uh, still I, intend to release it on PS5. It's still it's still a project. Right. It's not canceled. I am slowly working on it, getting back to getting you know big into development. But yeah, that's. I mean, your efforts to try to launch the game on Vita were widespread. Like, people were heard about it. I mean, it got so much attention that um, someone wrote about Seraphim when they were creating the definitive history of the PlayStation Vita. Yep, that person is too old for gaming. Um, I love him. He he is... We, we've met him in person. He is an awesome, awesome guy. Sandeep Rai, I believe. And I apologize, Sandeep, if I'm messing up your name. Uh, but we met him at one of the PlayStation experiences in Los Angeles where you gave him a, a private demo yep. of the game. Running on the actual dev running kit. Running on PlayStation Vita dev kit. And he did upload that to his YouTube channel. Right, so there's, there's footage out there of yep. it. Um, and again, it was in a very early state. Um, Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you do happen to look up that footage, you know, don't judge it yeah, too harshly. Right. It, it, it's not what the PlayStation 5 version is going to play like. And I think uh, he, Sandeep, uh, said something about the audio on his video wasn't good, so he cut the audio oh, or something okay. like that. so it's so. just video only. Right. Audio is a big part of the game. Yeah, it I is. I would say it's pretty oh, yeah. uh, engrossing. But uh, Sandeep... Uh, his book, Vita Means Life, I highly recommend it if you're into uh, like PlayStation history. He actually just wrote a second book mm-hmm. that just came out all about the PlayStation 3, 
and it's sort of a, a, a good definitive unofficial history. Uh, this is a nice hardcover book. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple hundred pages. Um, it's excellent, excellent, excellent. He's got like guest contributors. Um, and again, there's a, a segment about the end of the Vita and, uh, you know, it details Rick's efforts to try to launch the game, uh, unsuccessfully, which is like unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's cool that you're still a part of Vita history, yeah. which is pretty damn I, awesome. I mean, if there's ever a list of canceled Vita titles, Mine should be in that oh, list. Oh, yeah, 100%. And uh, just so you know, on the companion blog for Episode 3, I'm going to have a link to uh, Sandeep's website and his uh, Etsy store where you can pick up a copy of the book. Yeah, I'm d- I'm going to go home and buy that. I actually wasn't aware he released another one. He sent me a free copy of every book he's written. Yeah. And I, the guy is just an awesome, awesome dude. Yeah. Um, I have those all lined up. If there is a champion of the Vita, yeah, oh it's, yeah, it's too old for gaming. You can find him on X. That's where he's usually active these days. Although, who knows with X and Twitter, it's mm-hmm. kind of in a state of flux right now. Uh, uh, he's also on YouTube. Oh yeah, he does have a YouTube channel as well. He used to post a lot more frequently. I think yeah. he slowed down a bit. That's fine. Um, he talks about Switch on there too. A yeah. Lot. Yeah, I know he's uh, getting a PlayStation Portal as well, so I'm curious yeah. to hear his thoughts on the I, device. I fully expect him to. That would That's right up his alley. Um, anything else you want to mention about the um, Vita? No, just, uh, again, with Seraphim, uh, guys, if any of you are listening, <laughs> uh, I, I totally took a hiatus from Twitter, but that does not mean I've canceled the game. It is still very much an ongoing project. You're going to make a promise right now. I'm making a promise right now. It it will come out on PS5. If it's the last thing you do. If it's the last thing I do. Well, if it's the last thing you do, it's going to see the light of day one day. Yeah, right. For sure. Definitely. And it's going to be glorious. Yes. It, even if not the PS5, the PS6. <laughs> like, it, it will come out. I promise I'm not canceling this game. Uh, we got to get that physical release, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, that'll happen. So let's. I mean, who knows uh, with PS6? I'll fund it somehow <laughs> if it came to that. All right. Um, so speaking of the PS5, this is very breaking news. Just a few hours ago, mm-hmm. PlayStation announced that a new PlayStation 5 model is being released, and this model is going to replace the one currently available at retailers and online. Once stock runs out, those will no longer be available for purchase. So buy them now if you're a collector. This is the PlayStation 5 Slim we're talking about. Yep. So there's two models. There's a model with a disk drive, and there's a model that's digital. The great thing, though, is that Sony is going to also be selling a detachable disk drive for the digital model. So if you buy the digital model and you regret it, which you should, well, you should, uh, because as you know, we're you know the yeah. anti digital <laughs> podcast. We, I don't, I don't. We're not so much anti digital as we are pro physical. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you change your mind and you wish you had bought the physical model with the disc drive, you can do that now. You'll be able to spend an extra 70 bucks, so you'll be paying a $20 premium over if, if you had just paid for the disc model to begin with. Mm-hmm. But um, you'll be able to attach it, and it's not just like plugging in through a USB drive. It's like actually you pull up one of the 
the console covers and you attach it and you get a new console cover with the disk drive um, to like essentially turn your digital model into the disk model. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now that raises the question, are they even different? Like if we detach the, the cover of the digital or the, the disk di- model, the disk model yeah. will that be detachable? Will I we was find a detachable? wondering the same exact thing. If, like, is there even a difference? Are they just, are you just saving money if you buy it initially? Mm-hmm. Or is it actually, like, hard built in and you can't detach it? This is something Sony seemingly hasn't detailed yet. Right. Um, so I'll be curious when these start shipping to customers and when people get their hands on it to find that out. Um, it's a, I was concerned that this was only going to be a, di- a digital-only model with a detachable disk drive, and that would be the only way mm-hmm. to get like to play disk going forward, and that was kind of scary. So when they announced that there was a disk model, that was like a huge relief to me. Um, but then I did start thinking about, well, are they really just selling two versions of the digital model with one of them pre-installed with the disk drive? Because right. then that does get me a little concerned again. That is... It does feel like a step towards parting ways with the disk drive. Yeah, right. Um, I, I just I'm glad that they added this. You know, so we have the two versions, just like PS5, the original PS5. Yep. But instead of just a disk version and a digital version, it's almost like they're listening to us yeah. in a way and making that di- like digital version have the option of becoming yeah. a physical version. That does make me hopeful. Like Even if PlayStation 6 comes out and there's only a digital model, mm-hmm. but if they go with this trend of at least offering a disk drive, You're right. um, I mean, that makes me feel a little better. That would make me think that PlayStation 6 would be digital only and the disk drive is just there to play PS4 and PS5 games you own physically. Right. So, I mean, that's still... That would be a huge bummer. Right. I mean, because you remember that sale I was talking about where I got all of those great physical games yep. for less than $50? Yeah. Then that choice goes away as a consumer. It does. And that it would that would mark the end of such a huge factor of being into video games that I, I people might actually fall off yeah. of playing games. I can guarantee you... I would spend way less money on a a video game world where physical games no longer exist. I just would care so much less that I would miss so many titles. Yeah, There's no question. I would miss so many, yeah. Um, not to change the subject, this is related, but going back to when we, uh, we talked about it in a previous episode, the Xbox leak, there was so much in that leak that we actually didn't get into mm-hmm. that I've since come to okay. find out about. Um, but regarding their 2025 digital console, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, and the backlash, I guess, to that, yeah, it, it this kind of feels like Sony is taking notice mm-hmm. uh, and being like, "Wow, people really are not on board with digital only. Right. They're not ready for that, and maybe we should." You know, give at least give the appearance that we support physical right. to some degree. I mean, I don't know if two weeks was enough reaction time to no. all of a sudden develop a no, no, not at all, not an at attachment. All. Um, but, but I mean, 
large conglomerate companies have the scoop on this long before That's things true. happen. Yeah, they probably were aware right. that Xbox was going that way before right. the public became aware. Um, of it. And the Xbox leaks show that Microsoft has the scoop on Nintendo, and it actually taught yeah. It talks about how they're by proxy buying like millions of dollars of stock in Nintendo, trying to like do um, this covert takeover. Th- there was talk, and yeah, well, there was a, an email with Phil Spencer and someone yeah. else where they. I don't think that they actually bought stock, but they were talking to someone who had bought stock right. about like doing some sort of hostile takeover. Right. But th- it seems like they maybe changed their mind. It's worth noting that that email was from like 2020, right? Um, but I, it goes to paint a picture for us consumers that these companies know what each other are doing. Right. I mean, Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft is a lot more than just Xbox. Xbox is a tiny little piece. Xbox is down on the priority list next to, like, Bing and, and like, LinkedIn and stuff. I mean, Sony has a lot of money, Nintendo has a lot of money, but Microsoft has Mm. more money than God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they could do a hostile takeover if they wanted to go right. that route. Right. You know, the fact that they were like, maybe let's not, you know, right. like shows that they have some, they know that that would be unpopular. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, but, and, you know, it's sad that that's the only thing preventing companies from doing <laughs> evil things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, but I just wanted to point that out that, you know, Microsoft has shown us by, you know, via leaks that this is the direction they want the industry to go. Yeah. And to see Sony reel back a little mm-hmm. bit from their previous move with the P- original PS5 yeah. is a positive for us. Yeah, I mean, like you said, hopefully Sony noticed that people were very unhappy that the next Xbox, you know, the mid-gen refresh of the Xbox Series X is digital only. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you know, like, we want we want gamers to be happy. Right. So why don't we just continue presenting people with the option? Right. Right, exactly. So, you know, maybe maybe there's still some hope for PlayStation 6 and, you know, whatever comes next. Right. That physical might might survive. So if you buy the digital version of this, you're not SOL if you decide you want to play physical games. Right. Um, like, you w- like you were with the original PS5. Exactly, yeah, because there's no indication that this detachable disk drive will be able to connect to the original PlayStation 5 digital console. I highly in doubt any it. Way. Highly it's doubt it. It's not designed to uh, interact with it. Right. I'm sure there's going to be some special ports that are only on this new digital version mm-hmm. of the PlayStation 5, the PlayStation 5 Slim Digital Edition. Um, a couple other things we should mention about the Slim. It does come with one extra advantage over uh, the original PS5. And that's that it has one terabyte of internal storage compared mm-hmm. to 825 gigabytes of right. the original PlayStation 5. I, I'm going to say from experience the 825 gigabytes was not enough for me. Oh, no. Not no. at all. Last year, I spent like 100 bucks and got like a two terabyte uh, internal uh, add-on right. for my PlayStation 5. I really need to do yeah. that. Because, I mean, games are now 100 plus gigabytes. Right. Which you can install eight games on, on that, <laughs> if even. Yeah, if, if even. even. Like big AAA games, like good luck getting eight on there. Yeah. 
Um, you six. Know, yeah, six, maybe. I think Final Fantasy VII Remake was... Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I tried installing that. It would have taken up, I think, like half of my hard drive. Um, and I'm constantly having to, like, delete games off of there. I don't... I mean, I I like that it keeps the save file yeah, for each one. Yeah, delete the game. Um, but still, I don't want to sit there for an hour yeah. every time I want I mean, to I had to do a little bit of uh, management of my PlayStation 4 uh, hard drive occasionally. But with the PlayStation 5, I was doing way more micromanagement over, like, uninstalling and installing games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was just like, I had enough. I'm going to buy a 2-terabyte uh, SSD for the special port that's on the PlayStation 5. Um, and, you know, prices for those special SSD drives have gone way down, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for for PlayStation 5, you have to get... It doesn't have to be proprietary, thankfully. Yeah, they but, learned their lesson there. Um, Microsoft actually went the proprietary oh, really? way for the Xbox Series X. Um, but with uh, Sony, you can choose from a wide variety, but they do have to meet some specifications for your PS5 to accept them. Mm-hmm. Uh Thankfully, uh, those prices have come way down now, and pretty soon you're going to be able to get two terabytes for like seventy, eighty dollars. Like Good. it's trending that way. I, I think we might even see those prices come this holiday season. Now, all this means that the one terabyte hard drive is not—it's a very minuscule advantage. You'll get one more game. Maybe. Yeah, basically, <laughs> um, but still better than nothing. Yeah. Um, the size of the slim, as you can imagine, the, these consoles are less bulky. Um, so in vol- they've reduced the volume of the console by 30% and the weight of each console by about 20%. I think it's about mm-hmm. 18 to 24, depending on the model. Um, so about 20% in the middle there somewhere. For Wh- which is, you know, I mean, the traditional way they've done things yeah. with, with each generation. I mean, the, the PS5... Is a beast. It's, is prob- it's probably the biggest console that we've seen yeah, in, in a long time. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything as big. I mean, it's... The original PS3 was big. Yeah. This is bigger. Yeah. I mean, the cover plates make it even... Right. ...larger yeah. looking, <laughs> like, almost intimidating. Like they were going for big. Yeah. But uh, it does have a funky shape when you take the cover plates off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a choice, the PlayStation 5 design. is It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe they thought people would look at it almost like a conversation piece. Yeah, right. <laughs> like Basically, like a decoration. Room. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, I'm, I mean, this doesn't really pertain to too many gamers so much, but the uh, PS5 dev kit is even bigger. It's this big thing with like a cup holder looking thing in the <laughs> oh, middle. Oh wow. It's weird. I, I don't think I, I I'm not sure I've seen any images of the PS5. Yeah, look it up. Okay. It's, it's a weird looking thing and it's huge. But otherwise there's there's no performance advantage for the PlayStation 5 Slim, you know. This isn't like a a better model. It might it's, it might be more energy efficient, you know, obviously the parts that it's using have gone down in size. It's able to pack more into a smaller space or mm-hmm. pack the same thing into a smaller space. But, um, yeah, you're not getting, like, a, a PS5 Pro here. No, that's probably a year or two off. No, my, yeah, know. no performance advantage whatsoever except the storage increase. Um, and that's it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back from our break. Uh, thanks for sticking around, even though that break was only like maybe one second for you. It was yeah. 
10, 15 minutes for us. We need that sometimes. Yep, definitely. Um, so we're going to change over from PlayStation to publisher developer Square Enix. Square Enix. Who made some controversial remarks on X, formerly known as Twitter, last week. Um, not the kind of controversy you're thinking of, right? But the kind of controversy that gamers have gotten very riled up about. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy VII, the original, released back on PlayStation Two or PlayStation One, mm-hmm. uh, had a character that's this like robotic cat. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> Rick, take over. Okay, <laughs> so Ketchy is a character uh, who is the robot kind of uh, alter ego of Reeve in that game uh, who's, you know, the character who controls it with his mind. And Ketchy is named after a you know, in the game he has a Scottish accent which is a big part of his character. Okay. Um, Ketchy is an actual Scottish folklore cat demon thing that I was actually hoping to research further but didn't get to that. Um, it's always been pronounced catchy for hundreds of years. Right. Like, this is a well-founded, like, pronunciation. Right. But the original Final Fantasy VII did, was, you know, did not have voice acting. No, it didn't. So, players were just reading this spelling, and I'm going to spell it out for you. Catch, or as a lot of people pronounced it, Kate, is spelled C-A-I-T. Mm-hmm. And she, which a lot of players pronounce as Sith, because it's spelled that way, like the evil Star Wars characters, S-I-T-H. Yep. So it looks like it's Kate Sith. Yeah, but it's it's Gaelic, so it's, you know, it's pronounced differently. So this is where the controversy comes from. Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, had a brief cameo by this character. A tiny, tiny little cameo. In by the trailer character. you're talking about. No, no, no. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, okay, okay. The first of the trilogy yeah. from Final Fantasy VII Remake right. trilogy. Um, had a tiny little cameo for this character, but is now going to be featured heavily in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the second of the remake trilogy. Um, and Square Enix felt the need to put out a, a notice to everyone that this character is going to be pronounced in-game, and this is how players should pronounce it, as Kate Sith. Yeah. Yeah. And that has upset some long-time Final Fantasy VII fans, as including... It, as it should. Rick. Including me. Okay, and Ketchy, I refuse. Okay, Ketchy is not just in Final Fantasy VII. Okay, he's in all, like, he's in Dirge of Cerberus... He's in all Crisis Core, like all of so the- Final Fantasy VII before the remake trilogy had quite a multimedia empire, right. lots of spin-off games, Advent Children, movies, uh, all kinds of things. Yep, and uh, yeah, this is just wrong, and it in for me it just it like confirms the mistakes, like rookie, like you know pronunciation of this character. It confirms that. And so, you know, Final Fantasy VII veterans who are in the know about Ketchy and its origin, uh, you know, yeah, this should piss them off. This you, should... you know what I think happened is whoever the 
the casting person. I have a theory too. Or the, the director of like the voice cast just read it and said, oh, Kate Sith. Okay, so here's how you're going to say this line, you know? And so they recorded all the dialogue for the game already because it's launching in just a few months. It was too much work to go back and (laughs) re-record all those lines. And so, yeah, Square Enix is probably... This is a back step for them. Yeah, and they're like, uh, well, let's just tell them this is how it's pronounced. Yeah. Not 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 cool. Not an excuse. Undoing, like, 20 years... Of how the proper pronunciation of this character, and just straight and like a racer, blaspheming like, like straight up Gaelic lore. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, now like you said, this was Irish or Scottish. 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 I mean, Scotland doesn't exist in Final Fantasy. No, that's true. It, yeah, that's fair. But. I mean, Final Fantasy has Fu- always pulled from various lore. Always, okay, yeah. Bahamut, Ifrit. These are all, these are all folklore. Yeah, like they come from an actual real world place. Yeah, it's not just made up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm really mad. This is not right. Um, but you know, o- online I'm seeing people saying like, "Oh, that's how I always pronounced it." Yeah. I'm so glad this right, is the right. official I'm, pronunciation. Yeah, just like thank you for taking the side of us noobs. Yeah, uh, yeah. It Meanwhile, just... the hardcore people who know how it's actually truly pronounced and know the origin behind the the story are are really upset. And, like, it's going to be cringe for these people playing this game. Very cringe. Every time Cloud says, hey, hey, Kate Sith. Yeah, right. I'm going to hit my screen with a damn milkshake every time that happens. They're going to be throwing their controllers at the screen. You know, Final Fantasy VII, the universe has a lot of characters. I have, like, a good two or three favorites. Mm-hmm. Ketchy's one. Really? Yeah. I remember in the first episode, you mentioned Ketchy by name when you were so excited to see it in the trailer. Yep. So when I saw that Square Enix put this tweet it's... out, I was like, I have to bring this up with you. Another speak of the devil moment for us. Yeah. You know, something... It's been happening a lot with a that lot. first episode. We'll, yeah, we might have to come back to that. Or <laughs> We might be running out of things that we referenced in the first episode. Uh, but yeah, uh, not right. No, this is some... You know what I'm really curious about is if the Japanese version of the game with the Japanese voice cast will pronounce it Says correctly. Says it right, yeah. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. That, yeah. that would be embarrassing. Yeah, I can see that happening. the English it's, version of the game. It's so stupid and ridiculous, I can see it happening. Okay, so when you play a game, do you normally play it in English if it's like a Japanese game or do you play it with the Japanese voice cast or you just stick with whatever the default is I'll stick with the default um, okay. I, what I'll do is try to collect games in every region so okay. you know well usually nowadays you have the ability to switch to like a different voice true. cast usually with Japanese role playing games like Final Fantasy you can usually have an English and a Japanese, sometimes even additional languages like right. Spanish and French. So Square Enix puts so much work into their localization yeah. effort with especially the newer Final Fantasies yeah. that I love what they do with right. the voices and right. stuff. You were talking about 16 having like all British voice cast and yeah. the creative decision behind doing that. Right. Uh, another game that did that was uh, Last Story from Mistwalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it works so well yeah. with that game. So, okay, and now my question for you is if 
if the Japanese version pronounces Kate Sith correctly as Ket She, mm-hmm. are you are you switching off to I, Japanese instead of probably English? Probably not. No? Just because the rest of the game, I'd prefer to hear it in okay, English. Okay, you don't want to read the subtitles the whole no. time? Okay. Um... See, but, I used to be a purist. Like, if it was in Japanese, uh, if it was a Japanese-made game, I want to listen to it in Japanese. I'm that way with anime. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, usually me too, yeah. Um, but with games, like, I, the localization team is valid. I, you I know, agree, and yeah. I think that... They that, do a lot of work, a yeah. huge amount of work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I will, probably won't, but this is just... Oh, it, this makes me so mad. Yeah. I'm, like... It's such a small thing, too. It's right. like you, it's not a big deal in the grand scope of themes, things to like a normal person, right? But to oh, somebody, yeah, most people won't even know. This is like blasphemy. Yeah. This is yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Square Enix, uh, maybe a big misstep there. They probably just decided, well, we're just gonna go with this because that's what we've already recorded, right? Um, so deal with it, people. I I hope they feel the pressure and. And you know, one thing I want to bring up is that the tweet specifically says, in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, mm-hmm. Kate Sith is pronounced Kate Sith. Or Ket She is pronounced Kate Sith. Do you think this is like some weird twist Easter egg? No, type? not so much. But at least they're not saying in Final Fantasy VII. Right. Like rewriting Ket-She that. Ket She is pronounced Kate Sith. So maybe it's just for the remake trilogy. Yeah. I don't think there's any larger, grand design behind. Changing I refuse the name. to delineate. It, the <laughs> like I know your philosophy is different from mine, and you know. This... Oh no, I'm not saying this is right, but I just find that their wording right. is interesting the way that they put it there. I mean, the Final Fantasy VII universe is the Final Fantasy VII universe, in my view. Okay. Um, I don't think it's a different universe for this game. No, I don't think it's a different universe either. I think it's more connected than maybe players realize. Um, But, yeah, so this, for me, is just a a big blow. Um, My other favorite characters, I have to mention them, Rude. I love Rude from Final Fantasy VII. Just I don't think I've met Rude yeah, yet in remake. Yeah, he's not uh he's not a predominant character. Oh, okay. But uh yeah. You know, remake adds even more characters. Yeah. Oh, especially yeah. people that work for Shinra. There's uh, like a huge I need to huge really, additional cast of people. I need to really play that, but I have so much Final Fantasy to play. Well, I mean, you gotta just focus on one at a time, I man. Know. You sound like you're juggling like six Final Fantasy games. I kind of am. And some of them in Japanese, which is like Insane, yeah. dude. That's going to take you the rest of your life to get to if you're Google translating everything. Uh, no, uh, I can. I have ways of doing it in real time. It's not okay. like I have to pause the game. All right. Well, that's enough about Kate Sith. Yeah, so, my favorite Sith warlord. Oh. Okay. Um, so, in other news, we have a massive uh, administration shift over at Unity. Right, so this is like in reaction to the news that we talked about in episode yeah, one, yeah. right? Yeah, so this is a total continuation of last episode's discussion on, or was it the first episode? First episode. Yeah. Unity being the the developer 
of uh, software that a lot of people use to make games. Right. Unity is an engine. It's been going on for a very long time since I was in college for game development. And it's what I've always used. It's always been the engine I've used. I've used it since Unity 2, uh, which was back in like 2009. Uh, so I've been around for when they got rid of Beast. They just dropped off their physics engine. And that caused a lot of problems. Unity's had had a bit of a, you know, a history with making right decisions and wrong decisions. In 2020, they went public. And... Uh, that was as, a wrong decision? I would say so. I mean, I understand why a company does that, sure. but, like, uh, your interests are geared more toward a board of directors than your your user base mm -hmm. when you do that. Now, um... So what, what did Unity do? So John Riccatello, the CEO, who was formerly the CEO of EA... So that should tell you everything about this guy. EA is... Electronic Arts. The oh, okay. AAA publisher that is notorious for being money-hungry, greedy. Yes, you know. 100%. And so uh, John Riccatello made a number of decisions during his administration, you know, at Unity. Uh, most recently, of course, we have what we talked about in Episode 1 which was these install fees mm -hmm. that Unity has rolled out and started, you know, just pissing everyone off. Uh, you know, they're just going to put it on on developers when developers sign up for Unity, believing that, you know, this is free means free, which right. was a quote from Unity. Right. And uh, so, but, you know, I'm going to talk about this guy for a bit because he's done some stuff... He kind of embodies the ult the ultimate suit, you know, in the gaming industry. He's everything wrong with uh, these AAA companies. And, Definitely. And uh, so, starting earlier, um, back in July of 2022, he, uh, under his administration, merged with a company called Iron Source. Unity merged with. Iron Source. Iron Source is a uh, mobile ad platform, mm. um, or they, that's what they were before they merged. And um, it, it's a not just a mobile ad platform. It's a mobile ad platform with a kind of a little bit of a sordid history with some malicious ad malware. I see. Uh, they're they're not reputable. Okay. They're not a good company. And um, the merger. Uh, was a $4.4 billion deal. That's what Unity paid uh, Iron Source wow. owner. Uh, Iron Source owner, well, I assume it's the owner, I'm sure, when the company and then to him, Tomar Barziv. Now, um, I found out last night, actually, that Tomar Barziv is the chairman of the board of directors at Unity. Oh, funny. Mm. Mm, funny that. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, along with two other people that I'm not going to mention just for brevity, but they're also complicit in the way the direction that Unity has been going. Um, he said a bunch of stuff, John Riccatello. Um, one thing he said uh, during, I believe it was an interview with uh, GamingBiz.net, mm -hmm. uh, he called developers, quote, fucking idiots. 
End quote. We're going to have to believe that. <laughs> and uh, he he called them that, you know, in reference to developers' resistance toward in-game monetization, which Unity has been pushing. Right. He also said something else in that same interview, uh, basically supporting the idea or praising the idea that we at Unity should be approaching uh, developers, small developers, big developers early in the creative process uh, about trying to shift them toward or sell them on the idea of in-game monetization. Very predatory, very coming at developers with their own ambitions in mind, um, trying to influence their creative process and their creative decisions um, in a monetary way. Um, Upon leaving, um, he he did put out a kind of very short... Wait, so what actually happened? Are you telling me Riccatello is leaving EA? He, no, he's leaving Unity. Oh, he's, oh, sorry, he's leaving Unity. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. we so missed he, that part. Okay, sorry. So I'm jumping around a bit. Uh, Riccatello um, is basically... Okay, he's going to be the scapegoat here for the... Mistakes that Unity made. Okay. With so Unity is basically firing Riccatello. The board of directors is letting him go. Is what's happening right. behind? He, the he's scenes. going to be the look, guys. We fired the guy. Right. We fired the guy responsible for these install fees that were massively unpopular with developers, and right. we had this huge backlash over because everybody was talking about it. Everyone yeah. on YouTube was talking about that. Everyone in on sites and journalism was. Media was talking sites about. and journalism. You know the media, the, media. the gaming news, and developer websites. Um, his statement upon leaving: uh, "It's been a privilege to lead Unity for nearly a decade and serve our employees, customers, developers, and partners, all of whom have uh, been instrumental to the company's growth. I look forward to supporting Unity through this transition." and following the company's future success. Uh, this is a man who is deserves no compassion from me, but I know that he is not the root of the problem, and I do not believe that this transition is going to lead to any kind of reform no. in Unity's direction. They've already said the changes they're making and are permanent. That's not going to change. That yeah. was under his administration, so it wouldn't. I wouldn't blame someone for thinking that well, this was his decision. He's right. going away, so maybe the changes. He I was... mean, it might be his responsibility or his decision because maybe he got a demand from his board of directors or his shareholders to say we want more money, and so maybe this was his answer to it. Right, um, or I mean, maybe someone else made this decision. And it could have just responsible. It could have been his it. idea. Yeah, but it was not his direction. I I don't believe it was. I don't think he's the the brains behind what's Unity's been doing recently. Probably not. Um, I mean, you know, I, I have a feeling a lot of these CEOs probably work about 10 minutes a day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all... <laughs> they go to, like, a meeting in the morning. Yeah. And and, and then they, they, they log out. These are the suits. they have another meeting tomorrow. These are the suits. These are not the people that we respect at developers and publishers. Um, those are the artists, the programmers, the, act the people who actually make the games. Yeah. Um, in in his case, uh, he is being temporarily replaced by uh, Roloff Botha, 
who is uh, one of the directors at Unity. Okay. But uh, there was a Reddit post, a uh, Reddit thread, I okay. guess, deep diving into this guy oh. and the board of directors and um, the Tomar Barziv, who I already mentioned. And basically, at the end of that thread, I'm not going to go through the whole thread because it's... We'll, we'll have it on the blog. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely write about it. Um, the end of, of that, they, they, they literally, they say, do not be surprised when Tomar Barziv comes in as the next permanent CEO. Mm, And, uh, yeah, this, this guy's scummy. He, he sold Unity, I mean, as the co-founder of Iron Source, sold Unity a package of malware just masquerading as an ad platform right. for four point four billion. Yeah, I mean, Reconcello was the guy who made that purchase, right? Correct. Yeah. Huh. So this is all just like you know, this is what goes on. We hear about indies and corruption with indies and stuff like that yeah. because indies aren't c- careful mm-hmm. like big companies are. This is what it looks like behind the scenes at big companies. Yeah, and it's more disgusting. It, with bigger numbers, you know. Um, but anyways, that's it. Oh, oh, I also forgot to mention, in May 20 of this year, May, just a few months ago, yep. Unity laid off 600 people. Yeah, huge. Huge. Huge amount that's, of that's a big. That's a big layoff. And announced that their restructuring plan would cost the company $26 million. Yeah. Who are they laying off? Like, probably... I'm, I'm just going to, like you know, theorize here. Um, I'm going to say it's probably Unity developers who have been around since the beginning. Yep. Trying to save money, cut yeah. costs. And and who are pro, probably don't share the same philosophy, quote-unquote, as, you know, yeah. Unity today. Maybe. And um, that's just sad. You know, John Riccatello's looking for a new job. Mm-hmm. I hear Sony... Is PlayStation at. is no 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 don't do it no no no, no. you know Sony's you know uh, uh, Jim Ryan right stepping down as CEO and president and, I you know. I forgot to draw some comparisons here to Jim Ryan I'm gonna say uh, for what Jim Ryan is I'll take Jim Ryan yeah he this guy he's anyway. not as bad as John Riccatello no. this guy yeah. Riccatello like, just leaves disaster in his wake. It's, yeah, it seems like it's, it's he's so very Sony, very anti-consumer. Do not hire John Riccatello. Please do not. Please do not. He will he will tank the PlayStation brand. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, that's it for me on that topic. All right. Well, thank you for the deep dive. Yeah. I really don't have too much to say. You covered it all. Thank you. Um, last week. Uh, Silent Hill uh, popped up on the Google Play and Apple uh, App Store um, with a new game called Silent Hill Ascension. Um, This is a game that had been previously announced and discussed uh, I believe it was announced last year. It's it's essentially this um, it's like a Telltale Games style game where you're making choices, um, and like the characters react to the choices you make, and maybe you made a good choice, maybe you made a bad choice. You have no way of really knowing mm-hmm. what the outcome of your decisions is, are going to make, and like some of your choices will have long-term effects on the story. Um, 
So the reason I, I know a bit about this game is because at San Diego Comic-Con this mm-hmm. year, the company uh, who created uh, Silent Hill Ascension, uh, Genvid and Bad Robot Games, they held a panel where they discussed uh, this project that they're doing in partnership with Konami. Yeah. Um, and so their idea behind Silent Hill Ascension is not to have it be a traditional video game where uh, you know an individual player creates their own story uh, as they make these choices in the game, but instead to broadcast this game live around the world to everyone simultaneously who's playing, and as a group, all the players will make choices and essentially shape the canon of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that, you know, let's say there's three options, like uh, this person is walking down a hallway and there's three doors, let's say. You go the right door, the left door, or the door ahead of you. You know, people will all be voting simultaneously. Maybe there's like a 15-second window. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be there in order to play. Like, if you weren't there when this decision came up in inside the game, then you don't get to participate. Mm-hmm. The way they explained it at Comic-Con was that if you missed it, you could watch, like, a, a video on demand of what happened. Mm-hmm. So that way you could be ready and caught up for, like, the next time they do a live stream. Um, and it sounds like these live events are going to happen daily. Now, I don't know how long these segments mm-hmm. are going to be, like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour... Um, but the way they talked about it at Comic-Con is that they're going to have so much content on the cutting room floor because they basically have to have all of this built out and react to players' decisions in real time. So, you know, like, if if all the players, you know, if the majority of the players choose one thing, that means they had to build out ideas and cutscenes and things for the other two options that'll never see the light of day. Right. So we're not looking at a survival horror type of experience we're looking at uh, I mean it's gonna be survival horror in that like um, not not in like a, a traditional silent hill experience where you're controlling the character and you're you're having to like conserve you know your resources and use them sparingly mm-hmm. I mean those decisions may come up in the game but there's not gonna be like someone holding a controller having uh, control of the character and like walking around and stuff this is going to be purely like a cinematic storytelling uh just where choices pop up we we played um a live action a full motion video style game on my ps3 or my ps4 a few years ago i can't remember the name of the game it's like night shift or something oh yeah like and that. i remember it was li- live action yeah like it's like a movie playing out. interactive movie i think yeah are. but we we can make choices um, and so it's going to be kind of like that, except it's not just you making the choice. It's like you and everybody else voting on who makes the choice. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a free-to-play game. It's already available for... down. Well, it says free to download. I shouldn't say free-to-play. Okay. So nobody really knows how are they going to make money with this thing. Right. Um, I, I have some mixed feelings, you know, obviously. Uh I, as someone who is passionate about the Silent Hill franchise, and I've played all of them, uh, save for a couple of the spin-offs, um, I also don't trust Konami to respect their IPs, mm-hmm. like, at this point in my life, or in, in their life, I should say. Uh, I Silent Hill is kind of a... a it's a franchise that's been 
was one thing that was pure mm-hmm. and has been kind of adulterated through multiple titles. Sure. Turned into all kinds of other stuff. Developer I really love. I'm going to emphasize that. Way forward. Love them. Love them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were contracted to put a title on PSP. Um, Vita. Vita. It was Vita. You're right. Yeah. Um, that was like a top-down strategy game yeah. in the Silent Hill right. universe. Um, a lot of people... I, I mean, I'm not closed off to the idea, right? but it's not a survival horror. E- even when they change the controls into like a more traditional adventure-style control scheme mm-hmm. from the old, like, driving the character... Tank, tank, tank controls. Tank controls, yeah. Uh, that was a big deal yeah. to purists right. and stuff. This is just not Silent Hill. The experience. Now, right. now I'm not. I'm not closed off to this idea. Right. I want to emphasize that too. Um, well, I, there's not a lot of people optimistic. Yeah. About this. Exactly. Um, people are very, very skeptical for many reasons. First of all, like, what does this actually have to do with Silent Hill? Is it just them essentially licensing the name? from mm-hmm. Konami and they're just like right. saying this is a Silent Hill game even though it's just has nothing to do with the town of Silent Hill. Right. Which I mean there are already Silent Hill games that have nothing yeah, to do there, with the town there of Silent are, Hill. I think four takes place in the town next door or something. Yeah. Um but you know, I'm they have they have set themselves a very high bar. Right. That they need to make sure that they reach or this is going to flop hard. Yeah. Um, I think the odds are against them. I think fan uh, fans are already prejudiced preemptively, with good reason, I think. Yeah. Konami hasn't uh, been doing very much. Well, so last year, Konami held a big presentation all about Silent Hill, where they announced like three or four new Silent Hill games, mm-hmm. including one or two that are being developed internally in Japan by their own studios. Um, as as well as a couple that are being made in the West. One being uh, this one right here, which is not truly a video game, but more of a, a cinematic interactive experience. But it's not um, it's not live action. It is like totally like an in-engine kind of game where it does look like kind of a a mid-budget you know game, a lot like the Telltale games used to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as another game that I believe is going to be episodic, and it's being put out by uh, Annapurna Interactive, who uh, recently uh, created an internal studio. They're not just publishing indie games anymore. They're actually getting into original development. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other two games... Oh, no, I'm sorry. The other two games, one of them is a remake of Silent Hill 2. Okay. Um, I hope that's good. Which is being made by a European studio, uh, Bluebird Team, who's known for some horror games that people are kind of mixed on. Mm -hmm. But then there's one game that's being developed internally in Japan that appears to have a very Japanese flair to it, where it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the town of Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. But it looks pretty visually interesting. Right. Um, so, I mean, they are... It seems like Konami does want to get back to making games again and making games people want to play. Oh, yeah. But uh, this so, is definitely questionable. I, um, I Silent mean, Hill Ascension, that is. Right. Uh, I, that, it's promising about Konami mm-hmm. that they are at least putting in an effort to not be scummy. Yeah. Uh, but I think... 
I don't know. I, yeah, people are going to be skeptical uh, for this, toward this, as right up to like when it comes out. And right, we know, it's, we know what, it's going to the first segment of the Silent Hill Ascension shared experience game interactive thing mm-hmm. is going to go live on Halloween, okay. uh, October thirty first. Presumably, the app will be available for download prior, and you'll be able to like register, or I'm sure you're going to have to make an account or something. Right. I, I am very question. I'm questioning. Um, how are they going to make money on this? Are there going to be ads? It's going to be a live service thing. Or is it going to be like, oh, you can be a premium user yeah. and your vote will count for like 10 times as much as a regular person? It's Yeah, I do. It's going to be a live service. I can already tell you that. Because if that's the case, could you imagine it's like 10,000 people voted for this choice, but there were like 50 premium users yeah. voted for this choice yeah. and they win. I, I don't know if it'll come down to that particular conflict but i can tell you it's gonna be live service i like it just i i would not be convinced Um, can you imagine paying because this is like a one-time thing like once it's over it's over you don't get to replay it again right you can't go back and make different choices i'm questioning why did they not just make this an actual video game that you can download on your console yeah that you can just Replay many times and make different choices. Hopefully, I mean, nothing's saying they can't do that in the future. Well, at Comic Con, someone kind of brought this up, I believe, during the question and answer session. And to them, they were like, We want to shape Silent Hill canon. We want you to shape Silent Hill canon permanently with all these other kind of choose your own adventure kind of games, mm-hmm. like the Telltale make, that other developers make, like Square Enix with Life is Strange and Don't Nod. Um, they. Like, you know, every every player has their own version of events from right. that game. You know, right. no no two playthroughs are the same. Right. Um, but they're, they seem to be really honed in. Like, they think it's very special that everyone will be a part of shaping Silent Hill canon. Like, they kept saying that over and over again. I'm open to that idea I, as so long as it doesn't step on the established right. Silent Hill canon as it, as it is. Right. Speaking of which... Just in regards to the um, Silent Hill 2 remake, they better do that right. Because that game is... Oh, I know, yeah. People consider that game yeah. like... It, the definitive right. Silent Hill game. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, it's it'll. there's a lot of pressure on that European team, Team Bloober, um, to get that right. right. And I think it's supposed to come out next year. Um, I'll, I'll be playing that. Yeah. I, I've, I've always been someone who's been interested in Silent Hill... When I had a PS1, I was playing, like, Bugs Life, the video game, right. you know? Not not thinking about Silent Hill. Uh, that stuff was, like, scary to me. Right. Uh, I, I I think Silent Hill 1 ended up being a success, uh, but I think the majority of the people yeah. into that came later. Right. Silent Hill 2 brought in a lot of people. Yeah. 3 and 4 also. Yeah. Um, that's uh, My first Silent Hill was Silent Hill 2 on PS2. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It'll be curious. I, I'm going to download the game. I'm going to try to participate in mm. this thing as much as I can, the Silent Hill Ascension. Um, so, uh, I'll let people know how it is. I can tell you the moment they tell me I have to pay for this, mm-hmm. I'm out. You're out. Yeah. I'm out. I'm not going to pay for I'm not going to pay for something I can only play one time and never experience again. You're right. Like, my hope is that, like, maybe they'll repurpose this all as a video game and they'll release it eventually um, I mean like why not it's an additional way to generate like revenue 
Um, but they, they did mention something about, like, like they had specifically said we're going to have so much stuff on the cutting room floor. They were like, maybe we put together, like, a, a DVD or Blu-ray release of it. And I'm like, well, how how is that going to work? You're like, right. like, you're, like, a DVD menu is going to pop up every time you make a choice. Like, why not just make a video game? Right, put it, on, like, put it on PS5. It's a game. Like, it's rated T for teen. Just, that should tell you something. This game is rated T for teen. Oh, okay. So, the one, okay, so the one on Wii, I think. Shattered Memories? Shattered Memories, I yeah. think, was as well. Right. And, yeah, it's, it's just bland. The, <laughs> the movies are yeah. not PG-13. No. You know, Silent Hill as a franchise is not PG-13. There are naked bodies chained up, you know, to yeah. you know corpses That's and like, like frightening imagery. Yes, yeah, it's not and sexual, like sexual with the creatures and monsters and stuff. Like right. Pyramid Head is, uh, like I don't know, spoil Silent Hill too, but you know, it's, I'll spoil it. I'm gonna play it. Yeah, it's like the mannequins and stuff. It's there are sexual themes, mm-hmm. like deviant sexual themes. Uh, it's not supposed to be teen. No, and, it's not supposed to be teen. Yeah, that that right there makes me even. It's more, not even supposed to be for adults. Yeah, that makes me even more skeptical. Yeah. Um, well, that's all I've got on Silent Hill Ascension, but I'll, I'll keep you posted. Um. So, uh, in other news, uh, Steam uh, put out a video for the first time breaking down how their algorithms and stuff on the Steam pages work. Well, what's Steam? Steam. Okay. <laughs> Steam is the primary platform store launcher for PC games. Right. It's, so if you're a PC gamer, Steam you is know, where you, you go. You know what Steam is. It's yeah. where you go to buy 90% of your it, games, probably. The company behind it is Valve, who is the developer publisher of many classic titles. Half-Life, obviously. Definitely. Portal. Yes. Um, so, uh, Steam... Um, for the first time, revealed uh, more details about what goes on behind you know the screen on Steam, and uh, they break down which parts, uh, banners, and you know components of your Steam page are um, algorithmic, al- algorithmically curated, mm-hmm. and which are manually curated. So the reason why Steam made this video, if my understanding is correct, is. A lot of developers, especially smaller indie developers, mm-hmm. are wondering how do I get my game featured on like the storefront on Steam? Yep. How do I get my game noticed? They want like they want visibility, I... and Steam is now saying, "Hey, this is how visibility works. This is how you get seen on our store." Right. I have gone through the experience of having those questions for myself in the past, and I've always wondered the same. It was my understanding that you need to ask to be featured. I in okay. the past, I this sheds more light, I guess, a little bit. Uh, it doesn't shed a whole lot of light on. Uh, they they say that the manually curated titles are ones that they pick that um, appeal to a broad audience. They also show, um, like, revealed that the the curated um, titles that they show and ads that they show are seen to every user, whereas the algorithmic ones are shown. You know, they're customized basically automatically to each user individually. Um, but they don't really reveal like too much about how, what goes into how they pick the manually curated ones. 
and not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I don't put past a, comp- a company as big as Valve to not have their inner circle of people that get sure, featured. Sure, I'm sure, yeah, they have friends with some of these indie developers right. or smaller publishers, smaller developers that are like, hey, you know, like, right. we like your game, you know. They state in the video that you cannot buy curated space okay. or any ad space right. for that matter. That doesn't mean that they that, can't. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they, they don't, you know, take tickets to the the gala or whatever right. the hell. Yeah. You know, um, just, you know, speaking, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, but uh, it it it's a good video. It's a very uh, comprehensive video that goes into there. You know there are like twelve, ten to twelve different spaces on your Steam page mm-hmm. that show different games, and each one is actually has a different pur- purpose and functionality behind it. Um, it. They put a lot of emphasis on the fact that there is no one algorithm on Steam. It's like ten to twelve different algorithms showing you different games. Some are ones that your friends are playing. Some are driven by ones that you your friends have wish lists. Mm. Um, there are... That's interesting. There are a bunch of different factors. And this... I recommend someone go watch this video. Uh, I don't want to break down the whole... Sure. It's a lot. Sure. Yeah, it's like um, an almost 30-minute video. Right. We'll, we'll have it linked on the Episode 3 blog post. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so uh, good transparency from Steam... Um, and the video has a really nice tone to it. Geared toward uh, developers, the video is obviously made for developer, you know. Developers who got a lot of questions. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Good move from Steam. Uh, we've got one more story we want to touch on before we wrap up. Um, and this is about Telltale Games, who I, I just mentioned a minute ago in the Silent Hill Ascension segment. They have nothing to do with Silent Hill Ascension, but Silent Hill Ascension is clearly taking inspiration from what Telltale Games have done in the past. Now, Telltale Games is a company who produced a lot of these um, adventure games, uh, usually mostly... Walking uh, Dead. Walking Dead, uh, the first video game for The Walking Dead, which was like an episodic series, and it had multiple seasons. They did a Back to the Future series. They did a Jurassic Park series. They did Sam and Max they did the Penny Arcade series. They did the Strong Bad series. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a lot of these style games where there's not a whole lot of like action going on where you're like dodging and doing combat and things like that. But it's mostly just a standard, classic, adventure-style game where you're making choices, you're interacting with the objects, talking to people, gathering information. You'll know when you're playing a Telltale game. Like yeah. They have their own feel and their own yes, style. Yes, their own look, their own flair. They did recently put out a game uh, based on the um, this television series that I think was on Amazon Prime called The Expanse. They made like a prequel game to the television series. Oh, okay. This just came out uh, over the summer. Um, but I'm not talking about that. I'm here to talk about how uh, Telltale apparently had kept quiet for more than a month that they had let go of much of their staff in early September. The exact quote from the former staffer Jonah Jonason, um, he says that they laid most of us off early September. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of uh, kind of scary because Telltale actually shuttered a few years ago. 
Oh. In the middle of developing the final season of uh, the Walking Dead series that they were working on, and they were rescued by Skybound Games, who Skybound is the the publisher of the comic book or okay. the or uh, the company. Uh, cr- the Walking, Skybound, Walking yeah. Dead. Skybound is the creator is Robert Kirkman's company, the creator of the comic book okay. of The Walking Dead, and they're published by Image Comics, The Walking Dead comic. But Skybound is like uh, the special imprint under Image Comics that Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, founded. Okay. Um, so they rescued, they helped finish development of the last season of The Walking Dead game, but then Telltale went dormant. Now, somebody somebody bought Telltale, the brand, rehired a bunch of some of the key development partners, and rebooted Telltale Games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people were really excited about this because they had made a lot of well-beloved series, but financially they just... They couldn't get it together. Right. Um, and their own proprietary engine was really bad. It made game development take forever. Um, and now they've switched over to, I think, using Unreal. Okay. Um, so they've been working on a sequel to a very popular game that they made, The Wolf Among Us. Okay. Which is based on a comic book series as well called Fables, um, which has to do with like a bunch of like characters from fairy tales all living together in this kind of like gritty... New York-esque city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've been hard at work on this sequel to uh, The Wolf Among Us. And uh, so it was a surprise when it was in, it was uh, confirmed that a bunch of people were let go from Telltale Games. Um, and it made a lot of people wonder, uh, well, are you guys even working on anything then? Mm-hmm. Um, so shortly after this developer, or this former developer at Telltale Games... Uh, announced on Twitter that he was let go along with a lot of other people. Do we have any kind of numbers for any of this? We don't have a lot of numbers. He just said, he implied that it was like, they let go of all of us. Oh, okay. But like, this is what Telltale says. They put out a statement not long after. They said, due to current market conditions, we regrettably had to let some of our Telltale tank telltale team go recently we do not take this action lightly and our commitment to storytelling and finding new ways to do so remains the same we are grateful to everyone for their dedication along this journey and we are working to support everyone impacted all projects currently in development are still in production Mm -hmm. and we have no further updates at this time so it's kind of a rebuke to what the the former telltale staffer said where we were all let go, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like it must have been enough people. This uh, this employee that spoke out, Jonah jo- Jonas, Jonah Jonason, uh, is he someone significant at the company? Or uh, I believe he worked at the company before they closed originally, and then was eventually rehired again. Okay. So, I mean, the guy was well liked and he liked working there that he came back and they hired him again mm-hmm. um so but is he a lead or anything or is he just that's not something i'm privy to privy to gotcha. yeah i mean i tried looking for like a linkedin profile or something for him and i couldn't find anything oh, okay. so that information's not exactly public and i didn't really have the time to yeah to go through like credits on youtube for every single telltale game uh, to find out exactly gotcha. what he did um but um I guess what I'm wondering, and you know, this kind of goes with the Naughty Dog news last week, yep. is like, there's a lot of game companies letting go of people. Right. Like, uh, there's too many games. Mm-hmm. There's not enough time to play all these games. Right. Um, 
Like, is, what is going on? Yeah, is is the industry headed towards like a correction of sorts? Yeah, like, I, are there too many developers? Are there too many people making games? Like, that's that's kind of scary. Yeah, there. I okay. So there's definitely more than a few factors. I think playing into this. Okay. One and the biggest, and this is most apparent with Telltale, is the economy. Yeah. Right. We are flatlined right now. Yeah. We are like it is tanked. Yeah. Um, so companies that are maybe between projects, companies that are maybe working on something that doesn't require their whole staff, they're letting they have to let people go, unfortunately, because they're just the economy stinks. And uh, the other thing, well, in Naughty Dog's case, projects get canceled, you know, or projects, you know, they just, not that that one was canceled, but, you know, Bungie provided some negatives, negative criticism. Right. And um, they take Bungie seriously. Uh, I think that I there is definitely a, been a massive influx over the past decade of indie developers coming onto the scene, yeah. medium-sized developers coming onto the scene, develop, developers with uh, investors backing, developers without investor backing, um, AAA companies, new technologies. So, yeah, we might be seeing a bubble I, I think we're reaching critical mass. Right. I really do. I right. think it's becoming apparent that, like, there are, there are just still not enough players to support Such the a big industry. Yeah. And so... Uh, Even though it's the biggest industry out of all the industries, right. out of all entertainment properties. So the, the obvious place that your mind goes, of course, is the crash of 1983. Right. And what happened there. And it was that. That is what caused it. There were so many console holders on the market at that time yeah. that it was too much to support right. uh, the the demand for games at that right. time. I mean, I don't know that we're going to see consumers lose interest no, the way they did in the, not the at 80s. All. Not at all. But um, I, I think I think we're going to see a lot more of these these mid double A studios struggle. Right. And um, you know, maybe maybe that's why so many of these places want to get bought out because they do want that security. I'm reminded of Double Fine, Tim Schafer's yeah, studio. Right. You know, they were bought by Microsoft and it was seen as kind of a blow to the indie scene when mm -hmm. they sold out so to say right but I mean Tim Schafer's gone on record as saying look like I don't have to spend time worrying about people's paychecks I don't have to spend time uh, doing all this administrative stuff now right. I can get back to making games I have the security of Microsoft I know they support us I know they have our back mm -hmm. um you know, Double Fine's maybe a rare exception where they're sort of like a, a critical darling. Yeah. You know, where even if their games don't sell a gazillion copies... And a, a classic darling. Right. Like, uh, well-deserved. Right, of course. Know? Absolutely. Um, I, now, w when it comes to companies like Double Fine, developers like that, uh, getting bought out or letting themselves be, you know, parented by a, a larger company... In a lot of instances, 99 out of 100 instances, they are putting an expiration date on themselves. Yeah. Because certain publishers, more than others, 
will shutter studios. And we, yeah, it won't be long before they shutter you and absorb you, right? And merge you with some other studio. No, or the, let you all go a few years after they purchase you. Exactly, or move your whole team into some other internal. It's a huge company. risk. Yes, for sure. it is. I think. Depending on who's buying you, there is maybe more or less risk. Right. Um, like I feel like Microsoft has has a proven track record, at least in the last decade or so, of not doing that to studios they purchase. Right. Um, but like, if EA is knocking on your door, yeah, and you oh, take that run, paycheck, run. They, EA has a graveyard in their backyard yeah. of some of the biggest, most like classic, timeless, legendary developers. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Gone. I mean, Bioware yeah. is probably one of the last ones that they still have going that they purchased, and they seem to be a shadow of their former self, and they've been in the news a lot lately for all the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, wasn't IDOS purchased by Microsoft or something? Maybe. Or, uh, EA. I don't know. But, um, I yeah, I it, it could be a correction. I think the economy is largely responsible. Um, I mean... Telltale, it doesn't help that Telltale is based out of the Bay Area. Yeah. Which is like insanely expensive to live there. Yeah. That, Cost of living. That's is another crazy. thing. Yeah. So, I mean, Again, I don't know why any studio stays It doesn't in the Bay make Area. sense. It's the hardest place, it's the hardest state to launch a company and hold a business. The taxes of just having an LLC alone are, you know. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It just, uh, the, it's rough out there. Yeah, it's rough here. Why? Why? Why do it? Yeah. Why do we have to congregate? Like spread out, go somewhere cheaper. Yeah. If you, I mean, it's it can be maybe harder to attract talent when you're in Sheboygan. Right. I mean, uh, I understand that, but like we have the internet. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, work from home should be a thing. Right. You know, unfortunately, a lot of companies are telling their employees you can't work from home anymore. Uh, uh, I mean, there are reasons for that. I can understand. Some legitimate. Um, you know, I, I can understand. I can understand. But, I mean, if you hire someone telling them this is a work from home position. Right. And then three months later, you're like, no, sorry, you got to come to the office. Yeah. That's scummy. Oh, yeah. That's I, scummy. I, uh, if people are meeting all their deadlines, if people are doing everything you're asking of them. Why do they need to be in the office? Does that happen a lot or something? It's been happening a lot. Yeah. This year has been the year of work from home no more. You need to come to the office. And a lot of people are just straight up resisting. They're yeah. like, well, I'm going to keep working from home until you fire me. Right. And they're kind of calling their bluff. And some people that works, they get to stay home. You know, they're technically violating the company's policies, but the company's scared to lose them, you know? Right. But, I mean, tech has been in a rough place this year. I mean, we've seen the big three um, outside of the game industry, just Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Twitter, laying off hundreds and thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the game industry is a part of that that tech sector. So, I mean, they're not immune to these changes, too. Um, anyways, this is something we're going to be keeping an eye on, these layoffs. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep following up with this as I hear about it. Uh, otherwise, I think we're pretty much yeah. wrapped up with this episode. Episode three. We're already episode on episode three. three. Um, again, this will probably... Uh, we'll, we'll take some time, listen to the episode, make some edits if we need to. So I apologize if this doesn't come out Tuesday night. Hopefully Wednesday we'll have it out there for you. Uh, I mean, you'll know because you'll be listening. Um, yeah. But uh, thanks so much. Uh, we'll be back in seven days to record another one. Yes, we will. Next Tuesday.
All right. <laughs> End transmission. <laughs>